are the Williams family, and this is our story. So Jen and I met in the summer of 2005. Uh, I remember the first time seeing her. It's kind of like the movies where you see like the sun glowing in and hitting the girl, and she's all pretty. Um, and it was at that point I knew I just this that that this was the girl for me. Uh, so we started dating. He proposed the day of my graduation from college, and then from there it seemed like everything was pretty much fairy tale. It was beautiful wedding. Um, the only thing that was different was neither one of us had a strong base in faith. Uh, neither one of us really talked about God. We didn't even really bring it up at all, ever. We got pregnant uh, pretty quickly with our oldest son, Keegan. Then he joined the Army uh, as a reserve, and he went to boot camp when Keegan was two. God for help and support. I blamed him and I was really mad at him for taking her away from me. And at the same time, we weren't talking well and we never actually talked about the loss of a child. And then, not long after that, literally months after we lost her, he was diagnosed with epilepsy. So, with that came a lot of loss. My military career was gone uh, for a good three months. I lost a lot of privileges. I couldn't drive. I couldn't work much. Um, I couldn't even interact and play with my two-year-old son. He was having seizures constantly because his medication wasn't yet balanced. And then we got pregnant again. It took us a year, but then we finally had our little boy, Quinn. Then we thought, oh, things will get better, we're happy, we're the family of four that we wanted, at least. <laughs> and that, then he was diagnosed again with another um, hard-hitting diagnosis. So I developed some pretty bad habits uh, as a teenager, um, where I developed a bit of depression as a young age. Actually tried to take my own life twice, um, and after those unsuccessful attempts, uh, I actually began to self-harm. I used to cut myself. Um, that I had thought I was past that, um, but the stress of everything that we were dealing with and not being able to communicate with you know the person that I loved, that I lived with, it was my partner became just unbearable, and I fell into some of those bad habits. I was scared, but I did take him to the hospital. Where I was diagnosed with having bipolar uh, with schizophrenic tendencies. So I went through the therapies, I got medicated correctly, um, and when I came out, I had to immediately jump into just being a dad again and going back to work. We just tried to bury it. I went off and did my own thing, and she would go off and do her own thing. Um, we would literally just spend entire nights after our boys went to bed on different floors of our house. Um, and at that point, it was over. We consented to having the divorce to each other on our seven-year wedding anniversary. 
I started going to church every Sunday. And um, even when I had my kids, Chris and I shared 50-50. And so on my days, I always took them. And um, even when I didn't have them, I went. And um, it was not long after that that Keegan was like, well, Mom, I want to go say hi to Dad. And I'm like, well, honey, he's not here. He's like, yeah, he is. He's here every Sunday. was there just we were on opposite sides of church we were at the same same service same time it just started happening where we would go to church every Sunday together and that turned into you know can we all go have lunch together to can we keep hanging out and that turned into an entire day we would all spend together on Sundays and it was like Eventually, we started getting these ideas in our head that you know that we can do this this time, and we still really loved each other. We openly talk about God now, and we openly pray with each other. We've forgiven each other for the things that have happened. I think now, with our new relationship with the Lord and recently getting baptized, I think we've really opened our hearts to what God is telling us. We are really concentrating on the path that God is leading us down, not the path that we want to go down. So we've got a lot of doors are opening for us and we're extremely excited to see where they lead. hard to follow that. Maybe we got to just dismiss right now. Uh, what a great story of God changing people's stories. He does that. He does that. He's doing that here. Um, as we saw in the video, he's doing it in lots of people's lives and uh, we're excited to be a part of that. So glad that you are here um, to experience God together. Um, so greetings to our West Campus and our uh, Traditions venue, as well as those of you at, at 15th Street. Uh, just a quick um, uh, reiteration of an earlier uh, announcement in the video. Super excited about the upcoming For the City Serve Day, which we're doing um, three of these instead of our uh, one-day share fest. And the first one's July 15th. Um, we're going to be joining with about 10 other churches in uh, Greeley and uh, serving in various places around our city. Our church's particular focus on that Saturday morning is blessing four schools in our community, Central High School, Brentwood, May, uh, Brentwood Ele uh, Middle School, Maplewood Elementary, and Union Colony Preparatory School. Each school, each of those four schools has specific projects that they would like our help with. And so this is a tangible way for us to value the children and the teachers and the administrators in these schools. And so be sure and register online. It's going to be a great morning. <clears throat> so years ago, there was a man who lived in London. His name was George Williams. And George Williams was a draper. He made drapes for a living. But his life wasn't defined by his vocation. His life was defined by his commitment to Jesus Christ. And over time, he began to notice more and more young men moving to the city of London to work in the factories. And, and away from home, without the guidance of parents, many of these young men, men began to engage in destructive behavior. <clears throat> drinking heavily or visiting brothels 
And George became very concerned about the lives of these young men. And so he started to pray with some friends of his. He began to pray about this need. And then out of those prayer meetings, an idea was born. What if they could create a place where young men could be involved in more wholesome activities and hear about Jesus and grow in their relationship with him. And so they decided to do something about that. They started an organization called the Young Men's Christian Association, the YMCA. Within seven years, there were chapters in Australia and Belgium and Germany and France and Canada and the United States. Thousands and thousands of young men were coming to Jesus and were growing in their faith. <clears throat> For the next several decades, this amazing ministry continued to grow. But then a shift began to happen. It was gradual at first, but the original founders were no longer around. And some of the new leaders began to express concern about the evangelistic focus, the narrow evangelistic focus. And so they decided to be, and I'm, I'm quoting here, they decided to be more concerned with promoting morality and good citizenship than a distinctive interpretation of Christianity. Today, the YMCA is more focused on inspiring youths and their families to exercise and be healthy. Wow. Here's an organization that was started with a clear mission from God to reach people for Christ. And yet over time, that mission began to fade so that today the YMCA is basically a health club. I mean, that is a tragic story and yet also a very important story for us to hear because every one of us and every church is vulnerable to this where we drift from our life purpose. We drift from the mission that God calls us to embrace. Okay, so how do we make sure that that doesn't happen to us? Well, the passage that we're looking at today is very strategic in that regard. It's a passage that helps recalibrate our vision, our purpose as followers of Jesus. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have any of those, that's fine. We'll put the words on the screen. But we are continuing this journey through this amazing book of Luke, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus through the lens of several eyewitnesses. And today we come to this very important passage about our mission. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now, this is a very significant verse because in the previous chapter, chapter 9, the 12 disciples, we saw the 12 disciples were sent out to proclaim the good news and to heal the sick. And we could easily read that and think, oh, this mission of Jesus is, you know, it's just about the apostles. It's just for the spiritually elite, you know, you know, those who with lots of training and lots of Bible knowledge and all that. But then we come to chapter 10. And we see Jesus gathering 72 other people, which, which most likely included young and old, men and women, ordinary people like you and me, whom Jesus sends out to be a part of his mission. This is not, this mission is not for a, a select few. It is for everyone 
who is a follower of Jesus. Jesus calls us to be a part of his mission. He calls us to step out of our comfort zone and engage in his activity in our world. That's our mission. But as we heard just a moment ago, it is easy to lose sight of that mission. It's really easy to lose sight of that mission. We can easily drift from this primary mission and calling that Jesus has for us. And this mission drift can happen to us as individuals. It can happen to our e-group, even though one of the three E's is engaging in mission, right? It can happen to our e-group. We drift from our mission. And as we heard earlier, it can happen to entire organizations, including the church, which is why this passage in Luke 10 is so important for us. Rather than gradually drifting from our mission, Jesus calls us to recalibrate our hearts and our lives, to focus, to refocus on what our ultimate mission in life is and how we can more fully engage in that. So in this passage, there are three, there are three things that Jesus specifically wants to recalibrate in us in order to reignite our life missions. First of all, Jesus wants to recalibrate our hearts. He wants to recalibrate our hearts. After gathering the 72 followers, look at what Jesus says to them. <clears throat> he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, Jesus starts by giving the why of our mission. If we don't understand the why, then we won't engage in the what. So what is the why of our mission? Well, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He was speaking to an agrarian society that would have totally felt the urgency of this situation. Imagine having a crop that is ready. It is ready to be harvested, but you don't have enough workers to gather it in. That would be horrible. All that food would go to waste. All that work and that income would be totally lost. Jesus says, this is the situation right now in God's kingdom. There is a harvest that is plentiful. It's ready and it is plentiful. The vast majority of people around us and around the world, they don't know the Lord Jesus. They aren't in a relationship with him. They don't know the wonder of his forgiveness and the vast measure of his love. They don't know the hope that he can bring into their difficulties and into their future. All around us are people like that who are missing the good news of the gospel. On a global scale, the estimates are that about 4 billion people have never heard the good news of Jesus. 4 billion. The harvest is plentiful. But that harvest is also right around us here. Within 20 to 30 minutes of us right now live 200,000 people, the vast majority of which don't know Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. Think about the neighbors who live around you or the people who work alongside you or the people you bike with or you sit beside at soccer games. How many of them are in a vital relationship with Jesus? How many of them know him as their savior and their, their hope? Jesus wants us to see the harvest. He wants us to see the people around us through this lens. But do we? See, a lot of times I think we just assume people around us probably know Jesus. Or we assume that they're not interested. And those assumptions keep our hearts from feeling the urgency of this mission. Do, do we see the people around us through the lens of Jesus? 
the crop is ready. It needs to be harvested. Where are the workers? Where are the workers? Jesus wants us to feel the urgency to feel this need in our hearts, which is why he calls for a heart response. Verse two, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, God wants our hearts to engage in this need. And one of the best ways for that to happen is through prayer. But notice, notice is so interesting. Notice what he urges us to pray for. He doesn't say to pray for lost people. I mean, we can, we can do that, but he doesn't say that here. He doesn't say pray for lost people. He says pray for workers. Pray for workers. The harvest is ready. What's needed are workers. What's needed are more people engaged in this mission. See, I think Jesus knows that as we earnestly pray for more workers, our hearts are going to want to be more fully engaged in being one of those workers ourselves, right? We see the need and we want to respond. So our prayer becomes, God, send more workers including me, (laughs) including me. Show me how I can make a difference in the life of a person that is is not in a relationship with you. So let me just ask, what is is your, your level of heart engagement towards the people around you? What's your level of heart engagement towards the people around you? Do you and I see them through this this harvest lens? And if not, why not? Well, what is keeping us from seeing people around us as desperately needing the gospel of Jesus? Are you willing to pray for workers, including you, to be sent? Okay, which, which in addition then to recalibrating our hearts... Jesus also wants us to recalibrate our lives. Notice what he says next, verse three. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Now the command is clear here. Go, go. We are not to wait for people to come to us. We are to go to people. We are to move toward people who are far from God. And that's not easy. That's not easy. Don't you love how Jesus describes this mission? I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Boy, that's really encouraging, right? I mean, that's encouraging. Imagine you're on a football team, and just before the first game, the coach says, hey, I'm sending you guys out like rabbits among hawks. (laughs) You know, uh, good luck, right? I mean, there's a high school in Fort Collins whose mascot is the Lampkins. Now, I am sure, as some of you probably graduate, please, no letters or anything, but I'm sure there is some meaningful story behind that. I'm sure that. But but I wonder, how on earth does their football coach motivate his players? You guys are little lambs. Go get them, okay? Go get them. I mean, but that's sort of what Jesus' words feel like here. You guys are easy prey, but I'm sending you out anyway. What is that about? Why did Jesus say this? I think he wants us to know that we're underdogs and that's okay. I think he wants us to know we're underdogs and that's okay. The gospel doesn't move forward through forcefulness and powering up and strength. No, it moves forward in humility. The gospel moves forward in vulnerability. And at times in recent history and as well as centuries ago through the history of the church, churches have forgotten this and tried to be a political force for the gospel. You know, that that the kingdom advancing is about getting the right person elected in positions of power or whatever, which, which doesn't work. Coercing people 
or legislating people or coercing people to become Christians doesn't change anyone's heart. In fact, it actually makes the advance of the gospel more difficult. We, Jesus says, hey, we are lambs among wolves, and that's okay. Be proud of that, lambkins, okay? Be proud of that, that this is how the gospel advances, through ordinary people like you and me. God loves to do that. <laughs> he loves to do that. He loves to use the weak and the powerless to impact the strong and the powerful. But again, the core command here is two letters, right? One word, two letters, go. That's the core command. In whatever context God places us, in whatever vocation you are in, or life situation God places you in, we are his sent ones. We are called to go. We are called to move toward people who are far from God. So how do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us, look with me at verse 5. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Notice, notice what Jesus is describing here. He is describing a relationally-based approach. Do you notice that? This isn't about holding up a JN316 sign in a football game. This is about relationships. Build relationships. That's what this is all about. Stay there. Don't move from house to house. Build relationships. Now, in Jewish culture, it was common to greet someone by saying, peace be unto you. And the appropriate response would be, and unto you, peace. And that's what Jesus is describing here. He is encouraging the disciples when they get to a village to go to a home and to say to the person who lives there, peace be unto you. And if that person responds in a favorable manner, then they are to stay there eating and drinking whatever they give them. They are not to move around from house to house. Again, what Jesus is describing is a relationally based mission strategy. It is to look for a person of peace a person whose heart is open to spiritual things and to let that relationship be a foundational way to influence others. So our church planting friends in Kenya um, use this strategy all the time. One of the guys that I, I met there last October was getting ready to go into a Muslim village. And the first thing he was going to do was look for a person of peace. He was going to look for a person of peace, an open-hearted person with whom he could build a relationship. And the goal is that that person would then come to Christ and would influence other people in the village. It is a very relationally based strategy. And it reminds us that our mission to people far from God has to be rooted in relationship building. And in that context of relationship, we will soon get a sense for how those people are, how open they are to talking about spiritual things and, and finding out which ones aren't open to that. And Jesus seems to be saying here, focus on those whose hearts are open. That's what he seems to be saying. Focus on the ones whose hearts are open. Focus on building relationships with them. Now, do you, do you notice in this passage the emphasis on food? Did you notice that? On eating together. Even though we have 
often lost this in our culture where our mealtimes, even if we are around the table, the television's on and no one's paying attention to each other. That's just sort of the state of our culture, unfortunately. But in other cultures, eating food was and is a relational experience. Mealtimes were opportunities for relational connections. See, clearly Jesus believed that food can be leveraged for the kingdom when, when the heart of that is to connect with people. This is the heart of our new food truck, which is just about ready. Um, it's part of the marketplace ministry aspect of the For the City and Beyond vision. But the whole mission of everyone's table, that's the name of our food truck, the whole mission of everyone's table is to create and inspire connections around food. See, the place where a person is most comfortable and vulnerable is around a table, and so with this truck, our people will try to create that environment of community and, and connection, going to places, right, where people are, rather than waiting for them to come to us. So as believers, beyond a food truck idea, as believers, we can reclaim mealtimes as opportunities to build relationships, asking a coworker to go out to lunch rather than just eating a sack lunch by yourself all the time or whatever, or maybe taking a meal to a neighbor in need, Food can be a, a way for the, this relationship building to happen. So Jesus wants to, us to recalibrate our lives around this idea of intentionally building relationships with people who are far from God. Now, in addition to food, there's another really easy way to do this. Find something that you love to do and then do that with people who don't know God. If you love to sing, join a community choir. If you love to play tennis, Join a tennis league that's not comprised of other believers or only of other believers. If you love to read, join a community book club, not just a Christian book club. Join a community book club. If you enjoy biking, you know, get involved in a biking group in our community. I, I'm currently playing in a, in a Monday evening golf league where I get to meet guys from all different walks of life. See, our tendency, our tendency, and this happens the, the longer we are followers of Christ, our tendency is to do these things, the things we enjoy, with people who are like us. We tend to do them with people who go to church and who believe like we do. And so what happens is that, that our circle of influence just keeps getting smaller and smaller. We only build and grow relationships with other Christ followers. And so this is where the intentionality piece comes in. We have to be intentional about who we're hanging out with. A friend of mine has a, a heart for refugees, and so he began eating lunch at a local restaurant where lots of refugees eat and hang out. And he, he looked a little out of place, the only white guy there. Um, but soon he began to build some relationships. And now they're inviting him into conversations. They're inviting him into gatherings. God is opening just some amazing doors. I saw him the other day and he told me about how he was able to help one refugee friend find a job. And now he was trying to find a used bike that this man could use so that he could get to work. He was just so energized by the doors God was opening. It's, it's amazing the doors God will begin to open when we intentionally build relationships with people who are far from God. And again, it's not rocket science and it's not like you gotta be weird or whatever. Just find something you love to do and then just intentionally do that with people who, who don't know the Lord. Now, in the context of those relationships, 
where we're meeting these people, building relationships, just like Jesus is describing here. There are a couple of specific activities that we are to look for to engage in, both of them mentioned by Jesus. One is prayer. Prayer, to pray for the sick, to pray for people who are in need. Jesus says in verse nine, heal the sick who are there. So while you're in their home and building relationships, heal the sick who are there. See, what happens when we begin building relationships with people that are not in relation with God, and when we begin to do that, suddenly we get to hear their stories, and we get to hear what's going on in their lives, and we find out, wow, they got a, a child that's sick, or they got a, 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 a difficult marriage situation, they got all these needs going on, and, and we can pray for them. We can offer to pray for them right there. See, I've prayed for healing for people in parking lots, um, in, in my garden, um, on the golf course, in the grocery store, on walks in our neighborhood. In fact, let me, let me share with you a simple way to open a door for ministry to someone in need. You say, I don't know how to open doors. Here's a simple way to open a door for ministry to someone in need. All you have to say are seven Words, Okay, if you want to write these down, you can. Here you go. Can I pray for you right now? Seven words. Hey, can I pray for you right now? Notice it's not, hey, I'll pray for you, which may or may not happen. This is, no, can I pray for you right now? Those seven words give you an opportunity to tangibly demonstrate love towards someone in need as well as it gives God an opportunity to answer that question in a way that, or to answer that prayer in a way that gives him glory. Say, oh man, my shoulder hurt my shoulder. Hey, can I pray for you right now? Can I pray for that? I've never had anyone refuse to pray. They, they, maybe some people would, but I rarely have anyone, I don't think I can remember anyone refusing to pray when they've just shared a need that they have. This is an awesome way to open a door just to love them. To love them. So let's practice. We're going to practice, okay? Just say these words with me. We're going to say them together, okay? Here we go. Can I pray for you right now? See how easy that is? You all can do it, okay? Very, very easy. The, the other activity that Jesus urges us to engage in, in the context of these relationships, is to share the good news of Jesus. Verse 9, look, he says, heal the sick who are there. We just talked about that. And tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. I talked about this in more detail a few weeks ago when we looked at chapter nine where the disciples were being sent out. But, but we need to remember, we need to remember, we have good news to share. We can kind of get into this idea that it's bad news, the way our society responds to it. It's really good news. We have good news to share with people. Jesus came to earth. Jesus came to earth to save us and to free us and to give us hope and to give us a purpose. So let's not keep that news to ourselves. Let's not keep it to ourselves. Okay, so we've seen how Jesus wants to recalibrate our hearts so that we see the harvest and we're praying for, for laborers and he wants us to recalibrate our lives so that we're intentionally building relationships with lost people, looking for opportunities to pray for them and share the good news with them. Now there's one more recalibration that Jesus brings up in this passage. He, he wants to recalibrate our perception of God. He wants to recalibrate our perception of God. Look at verses 10 to 15. These are the next verses. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom 
than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will, be li- will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. This is a hard passage. Earlier, we saw how Jesus sent these followers out to love on people and to heal them and to share the good news of the kingdom. All that is a reflection of God's heart. He wants people to be whole. He wants them to be in a relationship with him, but he doesn't force anyone to do this. He doesn't force anyone to say yes to him. We have a choice. Every person on earth, we have a choice. And there are consequences for that choice, as Jesus articulates here. So he tells these followers that if their message is not welcomed, they're building relationships, all that, and their message is not welcomed or whatever, they are to shake the dust off their feet as a symbol of God's judgment. That the kingdom of God has come near and that people have rejected it. They had their opportunity. They rejected it. And if they continue to reject Jesus, there will be serious consequences, which Jesus vividly describes in this passage. A judgment day is coming for every person, for every person. And what determines our fate on that day is what we do with Jesus. That's what determines our fate, is what we do with Jesus. Now, now that may sound really harsh, That may sound really harsh, especially in our culture. But but think about it this way. All of us deserve God's judgment. All of us deserve his judgment. This isn't about people being better than others. No, no. all of us deserve God's judgment. We we have all rebelled against him. We have all gone our own way. We've not followed him. And Jesus came to earth to save us to save us from this judgment. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for that. He went through that horrible thing on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. But he won't force anyone to receive his forgiveness. He will not force anyone to do that. We have to choose that. Each person has to choose for themselves Jesus. And if someone chooses to reject that and continually reject that, they receive the consequences that technically they deserved all along because all of us deserved it. So if they reject God's provision, they're just receiving the consequences they deserved all along. God's judgment is absolutely fair and loving. It's absolutely fair and loving. It wouldn't be loving if he was forcing his way, and he's not. He's saying it's your choice. That's a loving thing to do. Now, we see this in the way, this this fair part of justice, we see this in the way Jesus describes it here in this passage. Look again at his words. I want to unpack this because there's some really interesting stuff here. I tell you, it will be more bearable on on that day for Sodom. He's talking about the day of judgment. On the day of judgment for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. See, Jesus is describing here degrees of judgment, degrees of punishment. He says on the day of judgment, it will be more bearable for Sodom. Yes, that's the Sodom of Sodom and Gomorrah. It will be more bearable for them 
than for people who actually saw Jesus' miracles and rejected him. God's judgment, according to Jesus, will be based upon how people responded to the knowledge that they had. In other words, everyone will receive what they deserve. Everyone will receive what they deserve. The other fascinating thing that Jesus says here is that God knows how someone would have responded if they had seen certain miracles of Jesus. Hang with me here. Hang on with your brains, okay? Because this is, this is kind of exploding stuff here. But follow this. He says, if the miracles performed in front of you, the miracles you rejected, if those same miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. God knows how people would have responded if they had seen the miracles of Jesus, which again, it's mind-blowing. It's what philosophers refer to as middle knowledge. Here's what middle knowledge is. God not only knows what we will do, he also knows what we would have done if we would have been born in a different circumstance. Okay, you can think about that. Uh, you can look at this passage a while and ponder that. But my, my point here, my point here is that God's judgment, though painful, will be absolutely fair and just. It will be absolutely fair and just. And it will factor in the amount of knowledge people have and the circumstances that they were born into. Now, I don't know how all this stuff is going to work. I'm just telling you what, we're just looking at what Jesus says, okay? I don't know how this stuff is going to work. But I do know that on Judgment Day, no one will be able to say, I have not been treated fairly. No one will be able to say, I haven't been treated fairly. Now, in the midst of this discussion about judgment, I, I want us to ret return to the, the foundational point here. The reason God sent his son Jesus, the reason Jesus sent out the 72, the reason he sends us out is because God doesn't want anyone to experience this judgment. He wants everyone to experience his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Love is God's motivation. And love is to be our motivation as we see the harvest all around us, as we pray for workers, as we intentionally build relationships with people who don't know Jesus. And as we look for opportunities to share the good news and, and, and the judgment that Jesus saves us from, our motivation is to be love. It's to be love. In fact, I want you to notice here, this is really important, I want you to notice the order of Jesus' commands here as he's sending them out. Notice the order of his commands. This is, this is very important. Notice, when, when Jesus sends out the 72, his command is for them to lead with love, to hang out with people, to eat with them, to pray for their sick, to share the good news of the kingdom over time. This symbolic, you know, this symbolic gesture of judgment, you know, shaking the dust off your feet, that comes after this love has been consistently demonstrated. But too often today, believers in Jesus, we get this backwards. We lead with judgment. We lead with judgment. 
We lead with lectures to people about how their lifestyle is unbiblical. And we lead with avoidance and boycotts and condemnation. And then we wonder why people don't want to hear anything we have to say about Jesus. Duh. Why, why would they? It's because when we lead with judgment, we lose the opportunity to ever speak into people's hearts and lives. They feel judged by us, and then they close their hearts to us and to God. I remember seeing a video not that long ago. On a, they were on a beach. This is a true story. There were these Christians were on this beach. They were kind of trying to minister to people, pray for people, and they weren't having a lot of um, just not a lot of openness and they were wondering what's going on and then they walked around a little bit and on this beach in California there was this guy with this bullhorn thing right and he was you're going to hell you know he was just kind of proclaiming truth from his perspective and so he was just doing this and so they went up initially they were kind of ticked off but then they went up and they they just began to talk to this guy and uh, hey how long have you been doing this he said oh like 10 years been doing it for 10 years have you ever had anyone become a Christian? No, but I'm just out here proclaiming truth. <laughs> oh, it would be funny if it wasn't so sad, right? That he just felt like because he was speaking the truth about God's judgment and our need for Jesus, that he was doing his job. But he was leading with judgment. And when we lead with judgment, we lose the opportunity to speak into people's hearts along the way. And that's why this, this passage is so important. It's a relationally-based strategy. Jesus called us to lead with love. And he has plenty of love to go around for everyone on this planet. Our job, our mission is to go. It's to go. And I'm not talking, you can go, maybe if he's calling you overseas, great. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm just talking about going, moving towards people around us, wherever he has placed us in our neighborhood and our work, just to move towards them. That's what I mean by go. Move towards them in relationship. Move towards them in love. That's your mission, should you choose to accept it, okay? That's your mission. We have a choice we have a choice. We can choose to make our life mission about us, living for ourselves and our happiness and our comfort and accumulating, blah, 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 all this stuff for ourselves. We can live for that mission or we can choose to make our life mission about Jesus, about his love for the people around us. See, that's the life Jesus calls us to embrace if we truly want to follow him. He calls us to embrace this as our life mission. There's nothing more important than that. So let's pray. God, thanks for your word, the challenge of your word, Jesus. Um, thank you. And I, I want us just to take a moment here, just respond with our hearts to his word. There, there may be some of us here who, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I don't think I have ever opened my heart to Jesus and said yes to this good news that Jesus is talking about is so important to escape from judgment. I don't think I've ever said yes to Jesus. If that's you, I invite you, I encourage you. You can do that right now. You can open your heart to Jesus. In fact, I wanna lead you in a prayer right now where you can do that. 
And this isn't about having all your questions answered. This is having all your doubts removed. This isn't, you know, about, um, you know, being perfect at all. It's about just saying, I'm a sinner. I deserve God's judgment, but Jesus paid the price for me, and I'm choosing to receive him. It's not about cleaning up your life. It's just about opening your heart to receive Jesus. So if that's you, let me lead you in a prayer. Just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. I've done my own thing. I've gone my own way. I haven't followed you. I'm sorry. And I realize that my sin has separated me from you. But I don't want to be separated from you. Even though there was nothing I could do to get to you, you came to me. You came to me, you sent your son Jesus to live a perfect life and then to die on a cross in my place. You died for me. You took the judgment I deserved. You took it upon yourself. And so I choose right now to place my trust in you. I bring you my failures and my faults and my doubts and my questions and my fears. I just bring it all to you and I open my heart to say yes to you. I open my heart to receive you. So in exchange for all of my sin and all that, I receive your life. I receive your forgiveness. Forgive my sins, past, present, and future. Come live in me. Change me from the inside out through the power of your love. So God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in this new relationship with you. Now, there are other responses here. I want you just, just an attitude of prayer. Let me just ask, do, do we see the people around us the way Jesus does? So God, would you open our eyes, would you open our hearts to see the people we work alongside, the people we live in the same neighborhood as, the, the people that play on the sports team we play on, the people that go to the school we go to? Would you open our eyes to see them in our hearts to see them the way you do. And then as we do that, God, the second question here, are, are we living lives that, that are intentionally investing in relationships with people who don't know God, who don't know you? So I just want you to think about that for a moment. Where are you intentionally, maybe for many of you, it's, oh, it's all over the place, but maybe for others of us, our only circle of relationships is Christians. And maybe the Lord is saying, hey, I want you to be intentional about this, more intentional. Find something you love to do and just move towards lost people. Do it with people who don't know me. So I pray for that intentionality in our hearts to recalibrate our lives to be intentional. And then God, thirdly here, do we understand the urgency? Jesus, you were very open about judgment, about what's at stake and God, forgive us. I feel like we just lose. We kind of push that off to the side and just try to ignore that reality. And I pray there would be a sense of urgency in our hearts, the reality of what's at stake of your judgment. And it would move us to lead with love, not judgment. That we would lead with love. We would love the people around us and that you would open up doors to share this incredible news about you. So God, give us your heart for the people around us, we pray. Thank you, Lord.
Well, we're going to respond to this um, with some worship. And let's let the Lord just work in your heart. Maybe you want to be praying for workers. Maybe you want to be praying for people you know. Just let's continue to process this and let God recalibrate our hearts as we worship him. So why don't we stand at whatever campus you're at? Why don't we stand and let's let the worship team lead us. Holy Spirit, fill us, set us free to worship Jesus.